Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. This morning, the title of the message is The Greatest Gifts. You know, here at Christmas time, some people get caught up in the giving of gifts a bit too much, uh, at least especially uh, in America. Uh, it's true, and it's somewhat true here in South Africa as well. And sometimes it becomes a, more of a, of a competition who can, who can give the, the best gift and who can uh, receive the, the greatest gift. But for those of us who are saved, we know that the best and the greatest gifts come from the Lord. And, uh, you know, he gives us physical blessings for sure, but the focus of the scriptures to the church is upon spiritual gifts and spiritual uh, blessings. I grew up um, in um, a small town, and uh, my parents, uh, you know, we, we had everything we needed, but they didn't have a lot of money to buy, you know, a lot of Christmas gifts. Um, but uh, th- there's always one child in the neighborhood who gets everything they want. <laughs> and I had a neighbor uh, friend that on Christmas, he just got all the greatest gifts. And no matter what, what I got, he was able to outdo, um, outdo you know, in the receiving of, uh, of gifts from, um, uh, from his parents. But this, uh, this boy had a, a bit of a broken home. Parents were not believers, and uh, even as a 10-year-old boy, I was able to recognize that although he had all the stuff, he had all the, all the gifts, uh, physically I, I had more because I had parents who loved the Lord, and, um, and I was in the environment to know the Lord, and, and so that's worth so much more. Uh, the blessings that God gives us spiritually are so much more uh, than any, anything that uh, we uh, can think about in this world, that this world can give. Well, if you've been with us in the, our study from Ephesians chapter 1, you'll know that from, from verse 3, this very long sentence down through verse 14, uh, he has been speaking to us about the spiritual blessings that we have received uh, from God. And he said that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that we have been chosen by the Father from the foundation of the world to one day stand in His presence holy and blameless. Now, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? He also says that we've been predestined to adoption as sons, redeemed through the blood of Christ and forgiven for our sins. He says in that that long sentence that we've been graced with grace, uh, and which he has given abundantly in wisdom and insight that we might know God. And that he's revealed to us the mystery of his will, uh, that he has purposed in Christ for 
this future administration of the fullness of time. And also he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us as believers as a guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. These are truly the greatest gifts that we have from the Lord. And the wonderful thing is all believers have these blessings. But not every Christian realizes what they have. Uh, Many believers haven't been taught as they should have. Many haven't pondered and thought upon these things that God has given us. And therefore, they don't live in the reality of what they have in Christ. Uh, Many times, I suppose we're all guilty of searching for things or even asking for things that God has already given us in Christ. We can be like the the very wealthy uh, newspaper publisher, William Randolph Hearst. Uh, He... he, uh, he had a great um, collection. He had a, a fortunes in a collection of uh, arts and various types of treasures from all around the world. And uh, stories told that one day he read of a valuable painting and he decided that he must have it for himself. And so he sent his agent abroad to uh, search and find this treasure and to buy it for his collection. And after months of searching, the agent come back and reported that he had finally found the treasure and that it was in his warehouse. (laughs) He had spent a lot of money and a lot of time searching for something that he already had. And as We've seen this passage, we have these multitude of blessings from the Lord, and yet many times we live like spiritual paupers, uh, as if we are very poor and have nothing. And so we often fail to live in the reality of who we are as believers in Christ. And so Paul begins in verse 15 uh, with Uh, this um, statement for this reason. And he, uh, I'll bring up the verse there uh, from verse 15 and 16, for this reason. And and when you see that, you realize he's referring back to what he's just said. And so he's referring back to this long sentence from verse 13 to 14 of, of all these blessings that we have received in Christ from the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is thankful for these believers. Uh, Verse 13, he specifically says that they had heard the gospel and they had received the gospel. And, And now in verse 15, he begins his prayer. He really begins another long sentence from verse 15 down through verse 23 at the end of this chapter is one long sentence again. And we see in that his, he communicates what his prayer is for them. And first of all, he begins with thanksgiving. 
thanksgiving for these believers at Ephesus and the region there of Asia Minor. And then secondly, he prays for them that they might have insight and understanding into these blessings that they have received in Christ and in the, the knowledge of God. Well, this morning I want to begin there with this first point of thanksgiving for their faith and love. As he says in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see, Paul had, had heard of their faith and love. And in this, Paul was able to rejoice and give thanks to the Lord or what he had heard about in them. And he mentions two dimensions, the two dimensions of the Christian life. One, the faith towards God, and then secondly, love towards others. And you really can't separate these two. They, they go together. Faith towards God and love towards others. John, in, in his 1 John letter, says it this way, chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light. And, and if you know 1 John, he uses light. In chapter 1, he, he says that God is light. And, and he says that we walk in the light to describe our, our, our relationship with, the, with God and our fellowship with Him. It, it is a it is a walk in the light, a walk in fellowship with God. He says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's describing someone who's deceived, maybe self-deceived. They, they, uh, they talk like a Christian, maybe put on a front as a Christian, and maybe even think, well, I must be a Christian because I'm a good person or because I give money or because I was baptized or whatever the things that uh, have uh, give them confidence, but down in the uh, the recesses of their heart, the Lord is uh, communicating, witnessing, convicting that they're really in the darkness. And this is one of the one of the tests, or one of the ways that He reveals that is our relationship to others. Do we really love other people? Um, you see, there's a a vertical relationship with God through Christ. And, and, and this vertical relationship with God will result in horizontal relationships of love towards others. These believers at Ephesus, he speaks of, their, their faith was, was real and tangible. It was something that people could see and, and talk about. So much so that Paul had heard reports about them. Do you this morning have that 
vertical relationship with God? Have you come to repentance and faith in Christ as your only hope and, and forgiveness for your sins and eternal life? See, the person who has Christ has also the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. And this Spirit of God puts His love in our hearts. This, this love is the, is the natural outworking of God within the believer. Love is the, the first of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, when he wants to talk about what the Spirit of God produces in us. Uh, this God-produced love is it's not just for those who are easy to love. We can all think about people that, yeah, I, I, really, I really like them, I love them. I have you know, good feelings about them. But God's... God's love, a biblical love, enables us to also love difficult people. People who are not always very lovable. The agape love uh, that's often spoken of in the scriptures is more than emotion. Our emotions go up and down. And they often are determined by our immediate situation, how we feel that day, what someone did or said. But agape love is more than that. This biblical love involves a commitment of the will, a willingness to give of self, even suffer wrong without resentment and bitterness being stored up in our hearts. As you examine your heart this morning, you may realize that you really don't have this kind of love for others. And there's one of two possibilities for this lack of love in a person's life. First of all, there's no relationship with the Lord. No genuine relationship, no indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, there's the possibility that a person can leave their love their first love, the love they had when they first came to faith in Christ, love for the Lord, love for others. It's possible to depart from that. See, Paul here praises this church for their love for all the saints. It was something that was, uh, was visible, was evident. But some 30 years later, the Lord would say to this church that they had left the love they had at the first. In, in Revelation chapter 2, we see that, uh, that letter, those letters to the churches at Asia Minor. And in the letter to, to Ephesus, he says, beginning in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patience, or, or sorry, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Quite a, quite a good testimony to a church. But then he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Well, how would you like to be the church who got that letter from the Lord? 
You've abandoned your, the love you had at first. How, how does this happen? How does this happen to a believer that they could abandon the love they had at one time? Well, first of all, we must recognize this departure is gradual. It just doesn't happen over time, overnight. But over time, there is a, a, a gradual departure from fellowship with the Lord, from closeness to Him. And, and it's possible for a person not even to be aware that it's happening or that it has happened, at least not to the degree that it happens. These Galatians believers were probably surprised to hear this from the Lord. They, I can imagine, thought that they were exemplary church. Um, I could imagine if they wanted to, to invite a visitor to their church, they could tell about all the great things about their church. And you were able to see in that description the Lord gave that they were truly a, uh, a working church. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. He says again later, I, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. This was a time when it costs something to be a believer. It could even cost your life to claim the name of Christ above all others and to worship Him. And so this was a faithful church. And yet they had departed from the works of love that they had at the beginning. Another reason this happens is devotion is replaced by duty. Uh, you see all those, those works he, knew, he named there? Uh, they were busy. They were doing things. But in all of their doing, their devotion, their love for the Lord had cooled. They had some motives, no doubt, that wasn't just right. Maybe some of the things they were doing, they were doing out of, you know, because to be seen, or just because this is the way we've always done it. Another related problem is the zeal for knowledge and righteousness can become self-righteousness and pride. Notice also, again, in that, in that passage, he's, he says, um, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. This was a church that knew doctrine. They knew the truth. They had been taught, and they had passed down this knowledge, and they had studied God's Word, and they knew when someone was speaking truth and when they were not. And yet, this desire that God gives us for wanting to know His Word, wanting to know the truth, as important as that is, if we're not careful, it will lead us to pride because we know so much more than most people do. And we can become self-righteous because we are so much um, better in our obedience to God's Word, the morality we see around us. It's fallen by the wayside, and if we're not careful, we'll start to become self-righteous and proud of, of what we've accomplished. 
And so we must ask ourselves, what can we do to prevent this departure from the first works of love and relationship with the Lord? And first and foremost, we must stay close to the Lord. Uh, we, we have a relationship with Him that's described as a walk, a walk with the Lord. It's a step for step. It's, it's moving, it's taking us someplace, but it's a it's, it's an ongoing, day-by-day walk with Him. In Ephesians 5, uh, later in this letter, verses 1 and 2, Paul would write, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He's He's admonishing us to walk in love, and he at the same time describes what that love is. It's like Christ's love for us, it's sacrificial. He gives of ourself. In Galatians 5, just after he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says, and if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if we have life by the Spirit, if we're believers, if we're genuine believers, we have the Spirit of God, we have life by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So having been saved and receiving the Spirit of God, we have to daily walk with Him, fellowship with Him, day by day. The second uh, thing that we need to uh, remember to prevent this departure is, is that it's not, a, it's not about just doing more things. Uh, our work and works for the Lord must flow out of our love for the Lord. Um, busyness cannot replace uh, this uh, genuine love, devotion to the Lord. Pleasing Him and honoring Him must be our motivation and our goal in the Christian life. If we set our, our sights upon Him and what He wants for us and what will please Him, then, then that, will, that will give us direction. It will, it will help us with our motives. It will make sure that we're doing what we're doing for the right reasons. And so we, we see this thanksgiving of Paul for this, these believers, for their faith and love. Secondly, and we only have, have time this morning to introduce this second uh, point, that his prayer for them, that they would have a gift of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Uh, from verse, uh, let's, let's back up in, in verse 16. And you can see there, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I'll just stop there a moment. Notice he's, ask, he's asking that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of, of God. Uh, you notice there are, in the ESV, there's a, a capital S with, with spirit, and it indicates that they have interpreted that he's referring to the Holy Spirit, which is a possibility, uh, a possible way to translate this uh, here. 
but as you know, in the original, there wasn't capitalization in the Greek, and so it has to be interpreted in the context. And, and it's certainly true that the Spirit of God is through the Spirit that we receive all that we receive. We, we, this wisdom, discernment, is, it, it comes through the Spirit of God who dwells in us. But I don't believe that he's saying, he's praying here that they would, uh, would receive or, or, or receive a, the gift of the Spirit. He's already established, in, as you were with us in this first part, especially the end of this first sentence, he says, um, verse 13 and 14, that these believers had already received the Holy Spirit. And they had already been given, if we go back um, uh, a little bit to um, uh, verses uh, 8 and 9, where he talks about, verse 8, he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, and he comes on down verse 13 to talk about the seal being sealed with the Spirit uh, of God, the Holy Spirit, the, the promise or the, the guarantee, first, uh, the first payment or installment that he's given us to guarantee the, that he's going to finish what he started. And so Paul's not, not, not praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit. What he's, what he's doing is he's praying that these believers would have wisdom and an insight from God to understand what they've been given, the things that they've been given from the Lord. And so spirit here, I believe, is should be interpreted as a position or a, an attitude that we're to have or receive from the Lord. It's used that way in other places. Sometimes, obviously, it's used to re- this, this word pneuma, it can be used to refer to the Holy Spirit. It can be used to refer to the spirit of man. It can be referred, used to refer to the wind that's used as an illustration of the, the spirit's working. And it, it can also be used in this way to describe an attitude. Uh, for example, in Galatians 1, verse 6, Paul there admonishes us to restore a fallen brother or sinning brother in a spirit of gentleness. And so in that context, it's easy to see he's talking about this attitude, this, this, uh, this disposition of our person towards someone else. And I believe that's how he's using it here in the context and what he's asking, that we would have this uh, ability, this, this attitude of wisdom and revelation from God in the knowledge of him and knowledge of God. You'll see in the next phrase there, he, he really describes what he's, what he's talking about. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. <laughs> Using this figurative language to talk about our inner person. And again, this metaphor of light that we have from God and in God and that we have eyes in our inner person to be able to see and perceive things, see and to understand what God has done for us. He goes on, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, or which he has called you. What are the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
Well, this morning, I only have time to look at this first phrase that he, he says in verse 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, we're, we're inclined, as you read this passage, to rush past that statement to get to what Paul is praying about. Because we really want to see what he's, what he's praying about. But, and Paul could have said it that way. He could, have, he could have said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you, my prayers, that God would give you and, and, and talk about what he wants these believers to have. But he doesn't do that. He, he adds this phrase, the God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. So why does Paul use this phrase? He's he's not just adding words for no reason. He's not just being verbose in in, in his writing to them. You see, when we come to prayer, it's very important that we give thought that we, that we think about who, we, who it is that we're praying to. The person to whom we are praying is the Lord God. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'll know in the Old Testament, God was often revealed as the God of Abraham, or the God of Isaac, or, or the God of Jacob, or the God of Israel, all through the... You know, the Old Testament, you'll see descriptions like that to, to refer to the relationship that those people or that nation had with God. He is their God. But now we've come into a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this phrase, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, it, it identifies the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. This time of year, we especially think about His coming. His coming in the form of a man to die for us in our place as the the mediator of the new covenant. And it's because of our relationship with Jesus Christ that we are invited to come boldly into the presence of God. And so when we come to prayer we, we cannot forget it's because of Christ that we have a relationship with God. Paul further describes uh, God as the Father of glory. Well, this, this can be understood both as the Father to whom glory belongs and the Father who is the source of all glory. But it's actually difficult for us to Describe glory, isn't it? It's a bit of an abstract thought like beauty. Um, glory, the glory of God, the Father of glory. We could say that the glory of God is His visible display of His holiness or His being. God is holy in that He's set apart and his infinite perfections from everything else and everyone else. He's unique. He is holy. In Psalm 19, verse 1, the psalmist writes, The heavens declare, or they reveal, the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so God in the creation has visibly given us a witness to his being, to who he is. The, the, the infinite perfections of who God is, is seen in glory. The glory of God is, is revealed in the very creation If you think back to Isaiah chapter 6, you'll remember that scene where the, the prophet writes of this vision that he was given and brought into the very throne room of God. And he talks about the seraphim, these angelic beings, uh, literally burning ones that are, that are in the presence of God and worship him. And he, he says in verse 3 that they're calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he says, the whole earth is full of his, and we might expect him to say, holiness. What does he say? The whole earth is full of his glory, right? It's full of his glory. These, by the way, at Christmas time, you often see depictions of angels, little baby uh, angels, or maybe a, a feminine, a very dainty woman as an angel. Boy, that's not the way the Bible describes angels, is it? Here are these angels, they're mighty beings, seraphim, flaming, evidently, um, and when they speak to one another, this holy, 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 the prophet says that the foundations shook. What, a, what an incredible revelation from the Lord. Romans 1, Paul would write of the invisible attributes of God. And from verse 20, he talks about how that the man has rejected God. He's suppressed the truth about God. And he talks about the eternal power and the, the divine nature of God as being revealed in the creation itself so that all can see. And, and he's, then verse 21, he says, they, talking of, about men who've rejected this truth, he says that they did not honor Him as God, but they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for man-made objects of worship. And though many people aren't carving little idols or buying idols to, to worship, they, we have a, a world full of idols, don't we? Of objects of worship and things that occupy um, man's time and effort and love and devotion. And when they see the, what should reveal the glory of God, they say, will it happen over a long period of time? By chance. And they've exchanged the very glory of God for something they can imagine. You see, God has revealed to us His glory. And when we, when we talk about giving God glory, and by the way, in this passage, He's referred to the praise of His glorious grace. And He, he three times in this in this first sentence from verse 3 to 14, he, he talks about the praise 
to the praise of his glory. What are we doing when we praise God, give God glory? We are essentially acknowledging who he is and what he has, has done for, for us. We, are, we give glory to God when we live for him, when we honor him, when we reveal what he has done in and through us by how we conduct ourselves. When we acknowledge who he is in the world and the creation, the beauty and the, and the, the magnificence of, of all that we see and the, the sunset and the, uh, all the things that reveal the creator, the designer. We see his power in that. And his infinite uh, holiness. Well, when we pray, we're praying to the Father of glory. Man has only seen glimpses and shadows of this glory. In the Old Testament, sometimes this glory is displayed burning fire or, or a, a cloud uh, that indicated the presence of God with them. And you remember how the children of Israel, they, when they, Moses was receiving the law, he was up there on the mountain, and the whole mountain was smoking and burning and shaking. It was the glory of God that was revealed there, and the people acknowledged that this was the presence of God. And God had to warn the people not to come near the mountain. Because if they did, they would be struck dead. This is the Father of glory. And in John 1, verse 14, the coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, John writes, In the Word, referring to Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of, uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, he says, again in John 1, he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so the, the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. And the amazing thing is, is that we who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are in the Son, the Bible says, we're in Christ. And because of that, we share in His glory. And one day we will be glorified together with Christ and become co-heirs with all that Christ has received. That's, that's an incredible thought. Only then, when we are with the Lord in glory, will we be able to fully know the value of God's manifold gifts to us. And that's what Paul is praying about for these believers, that they would, would receive from God the ability, the insight, the wisdom to, to grasp what God has done for them. Things that he talked about in this first sentence He's now praying that they would, would understand and, and see and so that they could live in the reality of what he has done for them.
we can grow in that knowledge and insight, but we won't fully know and appreciate until we get to heaven to be with the Lord. The Robert Murray Machine wrote a, a song or a poem in 1837. I want to share with you this morning. And it says, When the passing world is done. He says, When the passing world is done, when has sunk your glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I hear the wicked call on the rocks and hills to fall, when I see them start to shrink on that fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee at thy throne, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When the praise of heaven I hear, loud as thunders to the ear, Lord, as many waters noise, sweet as harp's melodious voice, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee, hidden in the Savior's side, by the Spirit, sanctified. Teach me, Lord, on earth to show, by my love, how much I owe. Amen. We thank the Lord for His grace in our lives and His love and multitude of gifts that He has given to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice in You this morning. And Father, as Paul prayed for these believers, and Lord, as he was able to rejoice and give thanks for the fact that they loved you, uh, that they had faith in you, and that they loved others. Lord, may we, as your children, also be a people that demonstrate what you've done for us, and that your love for us would overflow into loving others. Lord, help us as we begin to look at this prayer of Paul and his desire for these believers that they would be able to grasp what you've done for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to draw close to you and walk with you daily. We might ever be growing in our understanding of what you've done for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close the service this morning by singing um, this doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father.
Son and Holy Ghost. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Um, God bless you.